Okay, we're back to talk more Final Fantasy VI, aka Final Fantasy III, aka Final Fantasy Anthology. I guess there's probably a lot of other ones that it's released as too. Uh, welcome back, Ben. How's it going? It's going all right. How are you? Good, good. A lot of good stuff this time. Uh, a portion of the game that we've been looking forward to a little bit here in the Phantom Train. Um, and also uh, the unforgettable character, Gao, who uh, jumps into the, the party there um, on the Velt after that. Um, but before that, I guess we should probably go back a bit. So we last saw our party on the raft, um, jumping in, battling the octopus, being flung in different directions. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you sort of get to choose which of the three parties you're going to pick up with next. Um, so what, what order do you like to go in with this part, or, or do you have a preference on it? Um, I don't have a huge preference. I actually usually do Sabin last, but for our purposes, I started with that one. Nice. Um, again, uh, like of the three, I think Locke's path with Sellers is really memorable, and I think Sabin's path with Cyan and the Phantom Train is really memorable. I honestly couldn't tell you anything about going back to Narsh with uh, Terra and company, even though that's like the more main quest line. Yeah, yeah. so uh, I suspect that while that will have major plot implications, it's not quite as quirky or, you know, emotionally resonant as the other plots are. But, you know, I I could stand to be proven wrong. It's been a long time since I've played it. Well, it's something to watch for, I guess. Um, I... I went through, I think in the diff in in the order you described, right? So, starting mm-hmm. with the shorter ones and building up to the longer one, right? Um, yeah, and and I, you know, I just played this like a week or two ago, and I too could, I would have a hard time telling you much of what happens in <laughs> the, the main line, so to speak, right? So it's yeah. kind of interesting that that's well, partly that's I guess that you're retreading some ground, yeah. um, you're doing stuff you've seen you've seen before, essentially. And and part of it's just that yeah, frankly, not not that much really happens there. You just are kind of getting them to a place where they need to be for the mm-hmm. next big chapter once all the, the groups reunite there. Um, and so uh, to jump over Locke for now, although we'll come back to him another time. Uh, when you when you pick up with um, Sabin, he he washes up. And is found, isn't he found by Gal on the, the river's edge? Yeah, not initially, um, because we actually get two getting swept down the river sequences. Oh, that's right. Line. Yeah, so first he washes up next to a little village, and, you know, it doesn't take you long to figure out that, um, that Cyan's castle, his whole region, is under siege by the Empire. Like, apparently after they attacked Figaro, and we saw, you know, Edgar and Terra fleeing on chocobos in the city, the whole just sub- submerging itself into the sand. Yeah. Apparently, this is their next target. Um, so we see, like, it, it doesn't take long. You visit the village, you wander off and find yourself outside of the Imperial camp while the siege is going on. Um, and that becomes like a fairly major point of drama, but it's only later uh, after Cyan has joined the team and you jump into yet another series of waterfalls 
but you get swept downstream again and get picked up by Gao. So apparently a recurring plot point getting just, you know, flung down river <laughs> um, out of control. Yeah, but isn't there also the, the weird old man up there in his, his own um, yes. little house off on his own? Yeah, yeah. And he, he wonders if you're there to fix stuff for him. Um, right, and if you touch the oven, it burns you and you <laughs> scream and he like kicks you out of the house. Yeah. So they, no say, reason. they say that he's mad and there's some evidence for that um, and that he, he thought his, his child was a monster mm-hmm. right, and, and cast it out. So, okay. Um, so that's, that's just a little, little hint of something that we'll have to come back to later. Um, but yeah, this, this idea, right, that you're swept along as Sabin, you sort of find yourself in this whole other adventure, which is like, yeah, running parallel, um, echoing all the stuff that we've seen so far in the main adventure, um, this other castle, which unfortunately hasn't got the technology to, uh, to get away right? Mm-hmm. It, it's stuck. It's in, um, under siege. And oh gosh, Kefka is a real, he's a real monster, right? Yeah. This is probably the first time that we see Kefka's true colors, like his villainy really directly. I mean, he's, he's definitely no, no cupcake when you meet him in Figaro and he starts like burning down the castle, but the whole thing happens in such a rush and you're paying attention to Terra and you don't really see any any major consequences. It's like, oh, the castle is on fire. Oh, we submerged it. The fire is out now. Hooray! Yeah. And, you know, there, there doesn't seem to be any fallout. But the the siege here, I mean, A, you get the sense that, you know, things are more complicated than they appear to be. Like, you just, you sort of sneak around a little bit and you overhear some of the soldiers talking and you find out that there's apparently this, this whole power struggle between General Leo, who all the soldiers like and who is yeah. apparently this really hyper-competent general. Um, and you even overhear him talking and he's very much concerned with the human cost of a frontal attack. And then all the soldiers are also talking bad about Kefka behind his back. Um, that he's, you know, apparently reckless and doesn't care for the soldiers' lives and they don't respect him. Um, so, you know, you, you get sort of embroiled in this whole thing as you're sort of slipping around, you know, sneaking into tents and stealing treasure chests. Um, like there's even one bit where you have to hide in the treasure chest. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and but then General Leo, for whatever reason, gets called away. Like he gets some important message via carrier pigeon, and he's got to got to, you know, leave mid siege. And he he sort of like swears Kefka that he's not going to do anything rash. And of course, the minute that Kefka knows that he's in charge, he starts poisoning the river, and he like wipes out everybody in Cyan's castle, yeah. which is devastating to watch and and i mean especially because like tonally it's so it's so assonant or so dissonant rather i should say um because like you you chase him around for a while as saban and company and there's these hilarious little fights where you like punch him once and he's like ah and he runs away (laughs) um so you know Kefka's really not cut out for a frontal fight at this point in time. He's not actually willing to, you know, stand there and, and take abuse. He, he's not physically powerful. 
But then as soon as he gets the chance, he runs to the side of the river and he's dumping poison in there. And he's just causing this immense loss of life with no heed for the sort of casualties that he's inflicting. And as soon as we join up with Cyan, we see, you know, women and children and soldiers and bystanders all dying just willy nilly um, because of the sheer carelessness of this villain. Yeah. He, He's he's a clown, right? But he's mm-hmm. also a a murderer. I mean, uh, he has no honor, clearly. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. So you're sneaking around the camp. Um, you've got Shadow in your party at this point too, right? Mm-hmm. He, he sort of offers to join. I guess you can. Um, I guess you can pass it up. I I don't know if if you would. Um, yeah. Anyway, yeah. So he's you know he's helping you out, and so he makes an interesting pair too because he's a he's an assassin. Mm-hmm. Um, that's sort of his calling. So it's not clear exactly what he's doing, um, helping out Sabin. It's not entirely clear what Sabin's doing either, right? He's just kind of, again, he finds himself in this oppor- with this opportunity to spy, and so he he does. But um, but it's something that you can't prevent. Like there is no, there is no way to to avoid this this attack of poison. Which, I mean, yeah, the bio blaster is a pretty powerful weapon, but it doesn't usually just like instantly kill uh whatever you're fighting uh the way that this this poison does um but okay right and apparently cyan um you know doesn't drink water i don't know he he (laughs) escapes (laughs) yeah it's unclear why exactly he is the one person in the entire building who survives like he and one other guard but I mean, even my wife commented, she's like, really? It happened that fast? Like, did they all just go take a drink right before this cutscene? Because literally you're watching, like, there's this cutscene where all of the guards are just, like, dropping off of the battlements. And then, you know, you're running around the castle and you find the king is dead and your wife is dead and your son is dead. Like, apparently everybody was really thirsty right at the time that Kefka decided to poison them. Um, So, you know, there's something kind of kind of weird about it but it is still really affecting especially when you you walk into the room that is like cyan's family and he discovers that everyone like his wife and his child are both dead it's just it's heart-wrenching yeah Um, yeah right it's like his the person he serves the king dies mm -hmm. tells him like you run to your family um see if they you know you you know that it's bad right this ominous warning from a dying man right and so of course Elaine, his wife, um, can't get up from the bed. She's already gone. And then his son sort of like stumbles out and dies right in front of his eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it, it really, it causes him to kind of go berserk, right? Um, yeah. and, and there's this, I mean, that's kind of the first thing that we learn about science is that he's so loyal, right? He yes. is this great um, hero of, of Doma. Um, he has this kind of excess of honor, um, but mm-hmm. even he in this moment is not going to like follow any established, you know, rules for, for battle. He's just going to uh, go after whoever did this. Um, yeah, he makes for such an interesting contrast with the other characters at this point, because on, I mean, as you pointed out, like on the one hand, Saban is very much a sort of riding the current wherever it takes him at this point. He He's sort of like, 
he, he's that friend who couch surfs his way to success. Um, <laughs> and you know, he's just wherever, wherever the current literally drops him. And then you've got shadow who joins up, who is in there, who is in the party only for his own purposes inscrutable though they may be. Mm-hmm. Um, and you kind of get the sense of like, you can hire him, you can pay him, but that's really all he's in, in it for. He's very mercenary in that sense. Um, but at the same time, like he comes with his dog who is fiercely loyal and they both respect each other tremendously. Um, and then we have these characters contrast against Kefka, who, as we said, has like no loyalty, especially in comparison to general Leo who does. And then we have Cyan who is like this paradigm of loyalty, this paradigm of honor, um, who, you know, every part of his characterization oozes discipline and, um, and like precision, uh, even his, his move, his sword tech, uh, is like the, the three abilities you have at this point all are very, very focused, very, um, deliberate. Like the first one is just a leap with the sword, which does a a decent amount of damage. The second one he holds, like he doesn't actually attack. You do it. You're like, did it work? But if he is attacked during that time, he retaliates for this massive amount of damage, um, which is so, so telling about his character. Like this is the character who is willing to wait for his opportunity and then strike. Um, where so many of the characters to this point have been all about rushing forward and doing as much damage as possible or using the right techniques or using the right tool. Um, and Cyan is all about restraint. Um, and until of course, you know, his family is killed and he loses all of his restraint. He becomes just like berserk with his grief and his, his rage. Yeah. And it's, it's a little bit silly the way that it, like you sort of see him fighting and it's like um, sort of toy soldiers running into each other, you know, um, and Sabin keeps jumping into the battles to try right. to help. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and but, you have to come at him from behind too. Like if you try and run in with the soldiers, you get knocked aside. And, yeah. and he's like, sorry, I probably should not have done that. <laughs> like he's clearly interfering with the fight and is accidentally getting hit in the process. You've got to like come behind Siam and say, Hey, do you need help? And then you'll join up. Yeah. Um, and so he, um, yeah, he, I think becomes a kind of, um, a, a version of Sabin then too, right? Like, cause like you say, his attacks are pretty powerful. They tend to um, hit one enemy at a time, at least mm-hmm. for right now. Right. Um, so they, they kind of are uh, similar in a lot of ways. Um, Shadow has this special move where he can throw things. Right. Yeah. So again, there's that kind of mercenary qualities, like nothing that you have is, is got enough sentimental value to, to keep him from just like chucking it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, um, I definitely yeah, stocked up on shurikens before we <laughs> embarked with Shadow. Yeah, um, but so you you have a kind of interesting party now. Like you you don't have anyone who's the clear like healer character. Um, you you don't have a lot of finesse really to go on. You you just kind of are are pretty much purely uh, a power group right now. And mm-hmm. so I find it kind of interesting that you start fighting enemies who have more varieties of their attacks actually um like if you if you do go through and, and find all the treasure chests there's one that has a a really powerful enemy in it that oh yeah like, summons other other help and it 
hits you with uh, lasers, and it's just like it's by far the hardest thing you fought so far in the game. Um, mm. And and there's a similar one uh, in the train itself. I think there's a monster in a box that's like that's got some powerful magic spells. Yeah, he's got um, some of those gravity spells that'll like take down seventy five percent of your health in one shot, and then you know he can finish you off really easily. He's and he's got tons of health, and it's like I ran into him. It was not great, um, <laughs> but I did in fact overcome him after after a time. But the game also it's sort of aware of the limitations that your party has at this point. So there's there are very frequent healing spots mm-hmm. uh, over Saban Saban's little core. Saban's little side quest. There are a lot of save points, even when you're on the train, um, and they back you up. Like when you're when you're on the train, there are all these ghosts that just sort of wander around, and you can talk to them. And if you talk to them, then it's about half the time they'll join up, and they'll like basically add one little slot to your party. And they're they're not terribly powerful. If you attack with them, they don't do much. But they have this possession ability, which can one shot certain enemies. Um, although it's not consistent, but on the flip side, they will also attack you. Fifty <laughs> percent of the time, they'll join up. Fifty percent of the time, they'll attack you. And I think there's one ghost who's actually a shopkeep and will sell you stuff. Yeah, <laughs> not entirely. Yeah, Russian roulette uh, talking mm-hmm. to the ghosts. If you, yeah, they also feed you at one point on the train. Yes, which I guess goes to your point, right? Like, there's all these opportunities to replenish your health. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, there's another recovery spring in the forest. And well, to get there, you're you're sort of running away. Although you know you've you've really mown down everything that's come at you, so it's not clear that they have anything that could you know force you to run away. But you do anyway, and you mm-hmm. you steal some some Magitech armor, so you're running in that for a little bit. Um, so, but then you come to this this forest, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, there's apparently no pursuit really, so you're just kind of wandering around, um, and it's got a really different vibe, you know, all of mm-hmm. a sudden. Um, it's got a very different, you know, art look to it as well. Like the background is yeah. uh, very scenic and lush, and um, yeah, they're reaching for that third dimension, yeah. um, which doesn't always work in sixteen-bit games, but it actually it's pulled off rather well here. Um, okay. But like the pathways all imply a certain amount of distance. Uh, like you can see, you can see the layers of the forest beyond where you're standing. Um, and it, it's clear that like they're reaching for that depth. They want it to be different. And especially considering that you just came out of the, the military camp, which is this very flat, very 2D top down uh, art style. Like this is a big distinction from, from what you've been seeing up until this point. Um, and, you know, even, even compared to the, the castle of Doma, the sort of like ruined rundown fortress uh, and the the military camp, like we go from these two very industrialized or very at least man made man oriented locations to some place that is probably the most natural location we've been to yet. Yeah. Uh, like after all those caves and deserts and cities and so on and so forth, you know, besides the river, this is probably as foreign to humanity as possible. At, or at least that we've seen so far. Yeah, so it's wild that it it contains this train, right? It's like sort of out of nowhere, you come upon the um, the phantom train. 
right? Mm-hmm. Sabin, as is his want, you know, hops right on. Oh, yeah. No, um, no question. So it's, didn't, it's, didn't even think about it. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's doing the same thing as the river would have done, right? It just carries mm-hmm. him away. Um, Cyan, you know, loyally follows him, even though he knows the danger mm-hmm. um, and, and it keeps him company. By now, Shadow has probably uh, dipped from your party. Yeah, um, he leaves randomly. He just, uh, yeah, he had enough. <laughs> He's good. Yeah, he uh, built on me or before the train this time, but I've had him on the train before. Like, you can get him to uh, stick around for that long, but he, it's just testing his patience. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a little bit too, a little bit too weird for old Shadow. Um, he apparently, yeah, can escape the train just by leaving somehow. Mm-hmm. But all right, but you're you're stuck on it, and it and it carries you along. Um, and so now you're. Your goal becomes figuring out how to stop the train, right? Um, and I mean, essentially, that just involves, you know, fighting, uh, trucking along. There's really only one direction you can go. Um, so there's a kind of interesting way in which, although it does play with depth, the forest too has this very linear path that you follow. Um, it's horizontal, and you're going more or less towards the right and then the the train carries you more or less towards the left i don't know how much to make of that like it doesn't seem to be uh, you know like a like an infernal train per se it's just sort of carrying you towards where the sun would set i guess or something like that well i think there are a couple of things to sort of like look at as far as that's concerned we do get we do get a couple hints like cyan and sabin both sort of talk about the possibility like the rumors of a train that ferries people to the other side um and they refer to it only as the other side like there's no heaven or hell distinction here you you don't have a very clear metaphysics of how death works just that this is apparently involved in that process Um, but first of all you know the fact that it's moving right to left uh, like while i might you know, we, we might be tempted to interpret it as, you know, moving towards the sunset, like, and having that sort of death implication in that sense. The other side is, you know, it's backwards from all video game logic. Um, like, ever since Mario and earlier, the, the like, games have taught us you go left to right. Yeah. Um, so the fact that you were going the opposite direction for this entire duration on this very linear path is itself sort of strange um it kind of makes sense from the perspective of you know like where you are on the continent you've you've kind of wandered fairly far southeast but at the same time when you when you actually get off the train you have weirdly gone further east um (laughs) like you were in a part of the continent you couldn't access before because it was too far to the east and now you're there um, so, so already the directions are, are being confused. Like everything is not what it seems while you're on the train. Um, but this idea that you're going backwards, that you're moving against the normal direction, I think is important for this segment. Um, and the other, the other thing that we should definitely, uh, take away from this is we're on a train again. <laughs> and this is this is a fairly constant theme in Final Fantasy. Like you will always find yourself on a train. Yeah. Um, so you know, in six you have the Phantom Train, in seven you start on the train, and you, there are trains all over Midgar. And yeah. in eight you have the Timber Owls and your sort of like botched rebellion attempt. Yeah. Um, 
So, so yeah, Final Fantasy is full of trains, and oftentimes the trains are absurd in some sense. Yeah. Um, like for all of the the sort of representational meaning of being on a train, being like laser focused towards your destination, being guided on a track, oftentimes these train adventures are distractions or you know they, they move you in the wrong direction um like cloud is on a train when he is lost yeah. uh the timber owls are an organization that doesn't know what it's doing and it's very emphasized in final fantasy 8 and here we have a train that that ferries dead souls to wherever the next destination is and you shouldn't be on it um you are you are risking yourself by by sort of like accidentally getting involved with this you were you were an invader in the underworld like orpheus or like heracles or like any of the great greek heroes who wandered down there to accomplish some quest and usually got rebuffed or at least you know hades is very grumpy about it by the end <laughs> well there's something weird yeah i mean there's something kind of mythic about you know eating the food on the train um again it, it's sort of like shows you the character of Sabin that with everything else going on, he's still all about just scarfing down the food that the mm -hmm. ghosts bring him. Right. He doesn't even think about the, it. The wine that's there too. Right. So, um, and you can do that over and over. You can't uh, get past them. You have to sort of go around there. Mm -hmm. There's also, so you, you do, you know, you do sort of maneuver a bit. You, you decouple some of the cars when some of the ghosts get a little bit, um, peckish and want to apparently gobble you up, right? They, mm -hmm. they start to crowd around um, and whatever, yeah, and w whatever that means, I don't know, that you, you know, prevent them from getting to the other side. Um, it's it's, it's to me that that's a possibility, but... It's not quite clear what the implications are of, like, leaving a whole bunch of dead souls in the <laughs> middle of nowhere. <laughs> you you goes, think that that would be something like, that would prevent this. Yeah, uh, well, well, they they wander the woods apparently. Like, there's there's the same ghosts that are in the woods. So I don't know. Yeah, but but by the time you get towards the end, there's also this. There's the um, is he called the impresario or something like that? He has a weird name. Who yeah. uh, seems to run the train? Yeah, there's apparently a conductor's type person. Yeah. Um, and I mean, you don't you don't actually get to interact with him very much. Like he has his one little recorded line of dialogue, and it it's not terribly relevant or important, I don't think. But he's just he's just sort of hanging out with all the ghosts. Doesn't seem to pay it any mind. Yeah, um, it's his job. It's, it's like yeah, there's this sort of sense that like you are strange in that you you can make all these things happen right on this mm -hmm. um, on this train. Um, you're you're different in that way. Um, obviously you're still alive. Um, it's unclear whether he is too. Um, but you having stumbled into this can also escape it. You, you can actually get out again. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you're not sort of fixed, um, with your destination, um, that, well, I don't know, maybe eventually yeah. you'll head there, right? Like everyone's going to go there eventually. Right. But you, not, yeah. your time is not yet. Yep. Um, and I think the, the, actual engine and like it emphasizes that like he's gonna let you go this time mm -hmm. uh, when you actually beat him in combat um i was also struck too by like the random encounter you have with siegfried on the train <laughs> which is hilarious 
Yeah. Um, like you just wander into this one train car, this one little, you know, booth or something, and you encounter this great and terrible swordsman, Siegfried. And when you get into a fight with him, he unleashes this flurry of blows, which does exactly nothing to you. <laughs> and then you can basically take him out in one shot. Yeah. Um, and, and it's sort of like, you get this mournful sense from him. Like he was a really great swordsman, but now he's dead. So it's kind of, it's kind of not a thing anymore. So he takes his treasure and runs away. Yeah. I wasn't clear. Like there's, is there a throwback there to, um, the, I think I read about this because I haven't played Final Fantasy V, but I have read about it a bit. And there's a character in that that um, is like a recurring enemy during the game who's like funny and uh, I think they call him Gilgamesh. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. Yeah, Final Fantasy has frequently employed... I mean, again, like we've been, we've been kicking around a lot of mythic figures. We, we mentioned that a little bit last week, I think. But um, Final Fantasy has a habit of including these sorts of comical characters who keep showing up for one for one reason or another. For us in Final Fantasy VI, it's probably Ultor, the like creepy octopus who we will <laughs> run into again. Um, but in Final Fantasy V, you definitely run into like I want to say it's Gilgamesh that you're right about that, um, but it could very well be Siegfried. But we should also keep in mind that both of these are like huge mythic references. Enormous. Yeah. Yeah. Gilgamesh is the original mythic hero, like the earliest text that we have um, searching of course for immortality, Uh um, which would be especially relevant in this situation. And then Siegfried, he's heavy in the Norse mythology. He is the hero on whom all hope depends and who ultimately fails and brings about the end of the world. Um, So, yeah, like there's something kind of grim about running into Siegfried on the on the train and realizing that Ragnarok is right around the corner. Um, and, and yeah, well, that's that's the recurring theme in these games too, right? You know, the yeah. end of the world. Uh, so, yeah, I I mean, he he steals the treasure. You you definitely want to know that what that treasure was. I oh mean, yeah. Like, it's it's so tantalizing. <laughs> it's so frustrating <laughs> that this wimp steals it and gets away. So in that sense, he's kind of like Kefka too, right? It's like this weak, but um, very uh, aggressive and very, you know, sure of himself sort of character. And um, wily to some degree. Yeah, like he can he can get away with it with no apparent consequences or, or moral qualms whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then, but on the other hand, you know, the end of this little episode has this very moving but very, you know, brief scene where the ghosts of Doma Castle are boarding the train, right? Yeah. Uh, as you, after you are are allowed to get off from um, defeating the the train, uh, you know, engine or whatever, mm-hmm. then, which is a hilarious battle because you're like running in front of the <laughs> right. entire time. Yeah, and it's like throwing wheels at you. <laughs> it's so funny. But yeah, but then, but then suddenly again, there's this like abrupt shift to like the, the very, you know, very touching departure of the souls of uh, science family, right. Mm-hmm. And all of his people. Um, and they and even, even with these like really tender messages, right? Yeah. And, and there's that whole scene as they get on the train and science kind of like following them as the train pulls out and he's like left sitting on the platform watching them disappear in the distance like 
I mean, again, we I sort of I sort of poked fun at Final Fantasy VI's sort of rapid shifts in tone uh, last week and said that it was sort of an imperfection. But here, here it just makes it more powerful. I think you know the fact that you have this this weird, spooky, you know, Poe by way of Ray Bradbury um, adventure on the Phantom Train, which is like just, you know, it, it's it's creepy, but it's creepy in that sort of like deep-seated legend, the, you know, Bloody Mary or the Hook Hand sort of campfire <laughs> story. Um, but then it, it takes this radical right turn and suddenly you have this really emotional moment, this really like, devastating glimpse into cyan's own psyche um and cyan you know he is sort of the character that we come to associate with this like he is very much driven by his emotion driven by his loss um throughout this throughout the game um so this you know it's almost like why would you do that to him (laughs) like you you've already had this horrific moment where he comes back into his room and finds his family dead and now he has to relive it and just you know you cannot even emphasize it more as he watches the shades of his family like disappear before his eyes and then you're you know you're sitting there as Saban, and you're like well, what do i do like you you talk to him and he has nothing to say yeah. So you just sort of wander around the platform until you're ready to leave and then he'll follow you because again, you know, what else, where else is he going to go? What else is, does he have to do? Literally everything about his life is gone at this point. It's a, yeah, it's immensely um, powerful. The, the kind of um, the, the scene as you're, as you're leaving it, right. Is of your party separated out between Sabin and Cyan. Mm-hmm. Um, the one who has been sort of the, em- the emblem of freedom so far, right? He just sort of goes mm-hmm. with the flow and he's the one you're controlling. And Sabin, uh, sorry, Cyan standing there sort of downcast. Yeah, really looking into the abyss sort of. Um, mm-hmm. Remembering maybe um, good times with his family. You know, it, it's, it's quite impossible to say what's going through his mind in that moment right. because it is silent. And you had this like awesome blues you know train music that has probably you know gotten stuck in your head forever at this point (laughs) yeah Um, it is a very memorable theme and and now and and now it's gone it's it's silent after that last sort of mournful train whistle there's there's total silence and the scene yeah it just sort of fades out um it doesn't even go away because you leave so much as just kind of just goes away. <laughs> yeah. um, I I really like that um, sort of terseness to the dialogue there. I think in most later games, you would have had a lot more dialogue to kind mm-hmm. of flesh out like, okay, what is he going through at this moment? But I, I find that the silence is, yeah. And maybe it's partly because it, you, you've, you've gone through this interesting sort of tonal shift that it really lands um, incredibly effectively there. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's just a it's just a brilliant sort of set piece within this game. The whole yeah yeah the whole the Phantom Train man it's great, so great. Um, all right, so now <laughs> yeah it's a little different you know come on now on the velvet. Uh, mm-hmm. You, you um, again you have an abrupt shift to a totally new setting, um, totally new character I, what do you even say about gal 
Um, yeah, there's, he's a, he's an interesting one. Like he has a tragic backstory. And so far as, you know, you get these hints that he has been thrown out by his mad father and, you know, nobody understands him and they all sort of like see him as this curiosity. When you finally get to town, they're, they're talking about the wild man who, you know, eats the dried meat and who hangs out in the belt. Um, but you know, when you interact with him, most of your interactions are sort of like comical, but sweet. Um, the first thing that you that you see Gao do is actually pull you out of the water. Like after you and Cyan jump off that giant waterfall and fight the piranha mid plummet, yeah. um, <laughs> you you hit the water. You're knocked unconscious apparently, and Gao just plucks you out and drags you to safety. Um, and you wake up and you're on the Velt, this massive giant savanna esque swath of land where apparently all of the guys you defeat eventually wander off to Um, so you will you will find at this point like all the guys who you fought in Narsh the guys who you fought on the desert the guys who you fought in the caves even the the ghosts and such on the phantom train will all wander their way to the Velt Um, and mechanically that's because Gao you know once he joins your party then you use the leap command and he then like learns all of the moves or all of the, the monsters who you fight while he's gone from your party, um, which lets you, you know, some of it, it's pretty, it's a pretty widespread of abilities and you just yeah. kind of have to go through them in order to, to figure out which ones are useful. But just for the sheer variety, he's very powerful as a character um, like a lot of those abilities are pretty useless, but then you just don't use them. And instead you find like some great ability that allows you to heal your whole party or, you know, another one that will do damage to everybody on the field. Um, and, you know, it's just a matter of, it's a matter of exploring, a matter of like testing and trying things and seeing what you can do. Um, but that's, that's sort of bound up with who Gao is. Like even when he joins your party, you have this weird interaction where he's like following you around and he's glad that you've fed him, but you know, he's like misunderstanding what you have to say. And he makes fun of Cyan for his antiquated speech. And he makes Mm -hmm. fun of Sabin because he's like a tough guy, but Gao is keeping up with every blow that Sabin can throw at him. Um, So, you know, he's sort of like, he's very innocent in his wildness. Um, and kind of irritating as a result. <laughs> um, like to Saban and Cyan especially, like they have to sort of drag him off stage uh, frustrated that they, you know, are now letting him into the party. But he's, he's really a big help um, once, you've, once you've trained him enough, once you've, you know, helped him to learn all that there is to learn. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a randomness to his abilities, which I meant to kind of mention too, like, there's a there's that in in the other two's abilities too because you you can trigger them to do something with mm-hmm. their skills right the blitz and the sword text you choose which one you want to do um, but you don't get to choose the target that you do it against yes um, so there's an element of sort of like hoping that they'll attack the one that you hope that you want them to attack with it right, right yeah and, and so that's a little that's a little frustrating too but but again it adds a sort of layer of randomness of chance of um, the unexpected, the surprising, 
right? Mm -hmm. To keep combat a little bit fresh. Gal takes that to a way like greater level, <laughs> yes. an extreme. Um, Cause you have to hope that the right enemy will appear that you want him to, to learn the uh, abilities of. You have to hope that he returns to your party like shortly and not, you don't have to like wander around waiting for him to come back after, yeah. you know, for a while. I definitely ran into the bombs after he had left the party and then oh. got wiped out and oh, <laughs> no. had to reload the game. And I was like, darn it, gal. <laughs> um, fortunately, the second time around, he, he learned all the bomb moves. So, you know, uh, okay. I will have them going forward. But <laughs> it, it's so it's like and then once you, you know, he doesn't actually have even a fight come in. Like he can only become right one of the monsters. Um, mm -hmm sort of spiritually right and he'll if it's a flying monster he'll have float and he'll be like floating there mm -hmm. and if you know he'll have like different attributes like sort of come over him as a result of of taking on this role um and that's that's kind of what it strikes me as these the meeting that he has with the two of your characters it suggests to me that you know he is sort of seeing through the the obvious roles that each of them has adorned, you know, like mm -hmm. he, he is, he is doing to your party what he does to the monsters, right? Yeah, he like is learning their techniques, playing a hero the same way that he can play it being, you know, yeah. a soldier or a ghost or any number of other things. And I, I find that really, yeah, really irritating on the one <laughs> hand, right? Cause it's like, he doesn't actually have, um, at least at this point in the game, like a reason for being mm -hmm. in your party, right? Um, the way that the others do. Uh, on the other hand, it's it's really refreshing. You know, it's like it's really honest and um, and it is you know funny and it's interesting to think about too. Yeah, uh, the the way that you know Cyan with his with his archaic speech um, can seem a bit you know uh, stilted. Mm -hmm. um, the way that the uh, the Sabin sort of muscular, you know, um, thing is like a bit of a cliche too, right? Mm -hmm. um, he he undermines those and he uh, points them out as being worth kind of laughing at, and I, I think that that's an interesting direction for the game to go. I I don't know that I'm quite won over to his like necessity for the story, but but anyway, that's that's. Yeah. I, I think I think what makes Gao interesting for the story is the fact that he isn't like intrinsic to it. There is there is a quality of being an outsider that follows Gao around. Like he he doesn't have a reason to go on this quest. He's not fighting for the returners. He doesn't have some, you know, tragic loss that he's overcoming like Cyan. He's not just, you know, going along for the ride like Sabin is, and he doesn't have, you know, a legacy to protect like Edgar. He's he's kind of approaching the game from the same perspective as you, the player, are. Right. Like, you also are just playing an RPG. You are taking on these roles. You are, you know, pretending to be Cyan or Sabin or Edgar or Terra as, you know, the need arises. Um, and I think, I think that aloofness is interesting and important. Um, like, no, he's not, you know, a crucial character. His, he, 
you know, even when you get later on and you have characters who are intrinsic to the plot in various ways, when, you know, Locke becomes important for the opera scene or when Tara and her interactions with the espers move the story along, or even like when your cell is stranded and finds Sabin and he helps you to safety, you know, all of these characters are crucial to, you know, the, the overarching story that's happening here, the, the rebellion and the fight against Kafka and everything that's going on. But Gao, Gao isn't exactly optional at this stage of the game. You have to get him to be able to escape from this continent and resume Sabin and Cyan's story. But, once the second half of the game starts, you don't need to get him back. Like he's, he's definitely optional. He's meant to be optional. You, you just stumble across him, but yeah. he doesn't have any crucial lines of dialogue. He doesn't have any major interactions with Kafka. He will forever be a choice, uh, like something you can do or something you don't have to do. And considering that his power set is so weird and off the wall, like you can turn Gao into a powerhouse if you really work at it. Yeah. Or you can ignore him completely and never include him in your party. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think the other times I've played this game, I've tended towards the latter. <laughs> yeah, same here. <laughs> it's a lot of work keeping Gal, you know, like documenting everything that he can possibly do and, you know, actually getting all of the abilities to do it. Uh, like if you, if you get lucky, if you get some really powerful enemy while he's lost in the veldt, um, he can be really scary, but... Yeah he's also so much less under your control as so many of the other characters that it's very rarely worth it. Yeah. Yeah. And because, I mean, I think, I think I like having, you know, more of a story and that's sort of my predilection as a player of, of video games, right? I, I gravitate towards these games because they have more of a story. And so he, he really doesn't serve it uh, in, well, not in an obvious way. I mean, I think, I'm coming around to sort of enjoying his presence in the game as you as you mm-hmm. sort of make that case um, and thinking of him as this kind of innocent and um, uh, sort of trickster, you know, sort of thing, um, this interesting combination. Yeah, I, I like that he's there. But on the other hand, you know, I'm more interested, I guess, in, in things like, you know, the Phantom Train, the opera, mm-hmm. these great kind of story moments. Um, and, you know, if if there was more actual gameplay that Gao kind of unlocked for you, like if you did more with him um, to, to leap and to rage, you know, if there, I don't know what that would look like even exactly, but right. um, you know, something that is like the exhilaration of playing a Mario and like running and jumping and doing that. Well, then yeah, like oh, totally. I would, I would have him in the party more often, but, um, but yeah, I, I, I guess he's uh He's a bit extraneous from from the way I look at things. Um, he's he's a, you know very much you know there's a shiny thing here right his treasure the shiny right, thing, yeah. <laughs> but it's actually like the crucial um, diving helmet to allow you to continue with the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but I, I think too you know like if we compare it to Final Fantasy VII, it always has you know quite a few extraneous characters depending on how you want to play it like. Mm-hmm always more more people to to hang around in your party than you will actually use um but at least with all the characters in final fantasy 7 like there's a reason there's a reason to seek out their stories and a reason to do them like you you can unlock their big fancy scariest limit breaks 
Um, and you know, usually that's involved with like meeting their families or in interacting with important plot points for that specific character. And I mean, if Gao has that, and I think you can actually bring Gao back to his father and sort of force a confrontation, which yields some fairly interesting story development. Um, but it, again, it's all tangential and there's no mechanical reward. Like, I don't think Gal learns some awesome ability that you can then, you know, bring to the battlefield. <laughs> unlike you can, unlike the way that you can with so many of the characters in Seven or even some of the characters in Six. Yeah, I, I really like the way that Final Fantasy VII um, included these sort of um, secret characters mm -hmm. right, and then proceeded to uh, make an entire game around one of them right right there's, yeah. a, there's at least one spin-off game just just about vincent because he mm. became such a huge like heartthrob for for fans of the game um that's awesome to me <laughs> so i'm yeah. still waiting for the uh the gal game spin-off <laughs> <laughs> We'll see. I mean, yeah, kind of a heyday for these things. So yeah, I'm not sure if we're if there's really a lot of clamoring for that one. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know though. I I feel like now that now that I've said that, if I Google it, I bet it exists. Oh yeah, some it's fan game. Somebody, like somebody has built the gal, um, the gal mini game, the <laughs> gal accompaniment for Final Fantasy VI. Um, I did want to touch on the name of the place too, the Velt. This is a word that I have always been fascinated by. I think I learned it from playing this game. Um, the Velt is a is a South African word, I think, mm -hmm. um, mean, meaning basically like yeah, this this kind of uh, terrain, right, where um, there's lots of you sort of would have a safari on it or something like that. Right, yeah. you, would, you would have some some such. Uh, rocking good time um but it's it's bound up with this this history of you know colonization um of of basically you know the history of taking land away which was supposed to be you know open uh, so i think it's a i don't know quite you know again i don't know enough about the translation to know whether that was intentional in the original game but it's a really interesting translation choice anyhow yeah, it, this area it, of the belt. I'd be surprised if it wasn't deliberate on some on some level. If there isn't a sort of one to one connection at some place, um, but the other, like, not to just further overcomplicate this, um, my first connection to the belt, the the place that I learned the word was actually in uh, Ray Bradbury's story with that title. Oh, um, yeah, the first entry in uh, the Illustrated Man collection, which I love to death and is one of my favorites. Ah, okay. Um, and in the story, uh, it's about these two kids, Peter and Wendy, which, you know, has its own connotations. Oh, yeah. And Peter and Wendy have this nursery, and the nursery has, like, these holographic walls, which they can change to be whatever they want. Um, but for some reason, they have been keeping it to the African veldt, and there's all these lions, and the whole place apparently smells like decay and death, and the parents are getting concerned. They're thinking of bringing in the child psychologist to investigate why exactly Peter and Wendy are stuck on this particular fantasy. Um, and as the story proceeds, uh, it is heavily implied by the end that the lions of the the hologram room are becoming more real 
than they have any right to be. And it is suggested in the climax that they have actually devoured the parents, that Peter and Wendy have gotten rid of them. Um, <laughs> so they can continue in their fantasy. Um, but, you know, as, like, as much as I can absolutely stand by the, the deliberate translation, like, yes, they certainly chose the Velt to, to point to South Africa. I suspect that the connection to Bradbury, like, there's a part of me that wants it to be the case, that there is a deliberate allusion to that story, because... Oh, man. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. At the same time as we sort of recognize, like, the imperialist connotation, there's also you know, because of the mechanics of Final Fantasy VI and the sort of weird attitude where the Velt is where, like, all the enemies that you've fought before will eventually congregate, there's something very superficial about it. Something sort of especially gamey. Yes. Something that doesn't make sense. It's, um, it's highly artificial, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That you should have, you know, soldiers from Narsh running around um, in the same space as, yeah, the ghosts from the ghost train or whatever, you know, like, yeah. And, yeah. And even more, you know, when you like a trained Velt hunter will discover very quickly, like not even on accident, that there's a natural progression to which you will find these enemies. Like they they will ascend. You will start by meeting wow. the soldiers in Narsh, and then you will meet the the crab things in the desert, and then you will meet like in the same order that you encountered them in the game, you will encounter them on the belt in the sort of weirdly strict chronological order. And then once you get to the most recent thing that you have done, like once you're fighting the ghosts on the train and you get past those, you're back to the soldiers in Narsh again, and it cycles. Um and, you know, from a mechanical perspective, that makes a lot of sense. It gives you a little bit more control over what Gal learns because you can predict what enemies you're going to run into at any given moment. But again, it just makes the belt as a location all the more artificial, all the more unrealistic. Um, you know, at the same time as you have this, this place that implies you know, one of the most natural untamed locations on earth, like <laughs> South Africa with all of its wildness and all of its exotic animals and all of its, you know, power, power of nature still to this day overcoming human beings. Like this is the paradigm for the, you know, Hemingway in the thirties and forties to <laughs> test his metal um, against the natural world. And then, you know, this game is simultaneously saying, yes, that, that is the image we want to invoke. But they do it with this weirdly artificial, very structured, very video game-ish um, mechanic and progression. Uh, it's a weird, weird place. I, I really like the uh, illustrated man connection. I haven't ever read that all the way through. I know I've, I've I'm sure that I've read things from it, but... Yeah, I need, to, I need to go back to that. Um, and I really hope that it is a. Um, I know, I really do. Yeah, um, that, that the developers did there. Um, yeah, I, I'm a huge unapologetic fan of Ray Bradbury. Fahrenheit 451 has been one of my favorite novels ever since I was a little kid. Yeah. Um, but the Illustrated Man collection is one of those like. You, you don't run into them often. There, there are a lot of writers who publish short story collections and they're like, hey, this real one story is really important or these two are really good. Mm -hmm. But every now and again, you run across a short story collection that is like an, a really great album. 
And it's yep. just like everyone in there is a winner for some reason, or they all have this thematic resonance. And the illustrated man is one of those, like if not the best short story collection as collection I've ever read, then pretty darn close to the top. Um, so, so yeah, I'd highly recommend giving it a go at some point. And the belt is the opening story. Like they do not, Bradbury does not mess around. <laughs> the single, the hit single from the illustrated. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, well, so we touched on a lot of great literature and art this time. So like the, the blues and, and that sort of thing from the train, mm-hmm. um, maybe possibly Gilgamesh, uh, the earliest of the epics and, and definitely uh, Siegfried in this game, um, his, his sort of avatar that appears. Um, and now onto the Velt. Yeah, awesome. Well, cool. Oh, um, anything else from this? segment before we kind of close here not that i can think of i think we did a pretty thorough treatment the current is fast when you hop in the uh the uh, underwater what is it called in this game the serpent trench oh okay yeah, yeah the serpent trench yeah 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 all right so we'll, we'll sort of get flung through that back to um where we needed to go all along uh mm-hmm. back to narsh and then sort of try to pick up with the other couple of characters and their their parallel adventures for next time. Yeah, I think both of those are considerably shorter, so hopefully oh, we'll yeah. be able to knock out all but the Serpent Trench travel, the Locks mission, and our revisit to Narsh and get everybody back together by the end of next time. And and again, yeah, maybe maybe get another brush with the Esper if time permits. Mm-hmm. All right, which is yeah. The game really, really picks up um, from that point, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it gains, it gains a certain amount of, of oomph to it, yeah. Yeah, a little bit more direction, a little <laughs> bit more clarity. All right. Well, always a pleasure, Ben. Thanks for joining me. Yep. All right. Take it easy. You too. <laughs>